Depression comes to all of us at times. I know personally, I suffer from depression myself and have most of my life. But if you can't seem to get out of it and you're using illegal drugs, alcohol, or other bad influences to try and escape the pain, you're not alone. Please stop and do me a favor. Call 800-831-1560. They'll show you a way out of the darkness. That's 800-831-1560. 800-831-1560. Stories and content in Weird Darkness can be disturbing for some listeners and is intended for mature audiences only. Parental discretion is strongly advised. A hound from hell has allegedly plagued the area of England known as the East Anglia for centuries. In 1577, reports of a large demonic dog that had killed multiple people struck fear into the deeply religious residents of the region. Here's an honest question. How are you supposed to know what to do with your money? Very few of us are exposed to meaningful advice on how to manage our finances. Even fewer have the means to get professional financial guidance. Betterment is a platform that was built to do something radical, to give accessible financial advice that puts you first. If you're like most Americans, your money is probably sitting in a savings account, likely earning you next to nothing. Maybe you have an investment account that you're not really sure what to do with. Betterment can help you make sense of what to do with your money. Investing involves risk, but you don't have to know the ins and the outs of the stock market to start investing for your future. Betterment's technology will put your money to work choosing the stocks and strategies that are right for you because we know you have other things to do. Betterment's platform can even provide guidance on what financial goals make sense for you. Give your money a new home with Betterment, peace of mind included. Download the Betterment app today. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T for the betterment of you. They described the dog as being seven feet tall with glowing red eyes and the ability to strike people lifeless in an instant which it had reportedly done in two local churches. It was known as the Black Shuck. When it comes to the Black Shuck hellhound legend, verifiable facts are few and far between, but reported sightings and stories abound. Even today, hundreds of Brits every year claim to have seen the Black Shuck while walking through the fens and the foggy countryside. So what are they really seeing? Whatever it is, in their minds, they're witnessing an English legend from their childhoods come to life. I'm Darren Marlar, and this is Weird Darkness. Welcome, weirdos. This is Weird Darkness. Here you'll find stories of the paranormal, supernatural, legends, lore, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. If you have a dark tale for me to tell, you can share it with me at WeirdDarkness.com. And if you're new here, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Coming up in this episode of Weird Darkness… A camping trip for young boys turns dark after a night of ghost stories that somehow come to life. A man goes hunting for hares in Australia and encounters a large hairy beast instead. A young boy lovingly takes care of his grandmother every day, and strange happenings in her house don't stop him. And for centuries, 
people in Britain have been reporting a large black beast terrorizing the countryside, killing the innocent. Even now, in the 21st century, is the Black Shuck legend a ghost hound? A huge stray dog? Perhaps an escaped panther? Maybe a werewolf? Or could it be a true-to-life hound from the fires of hell? We begin with that story. Now, bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, and come with me into the weird darkness. The most famous sightings of the Black Shuck date back to the late 1500s, though some believe it appeared with a hunting party made up entirely of ghosts all the way back in 1127. In a pamphlet written in 1578, Abraham Fleming described the beast as a black dog or the devil in such a likeness. The pamphlet detailed events of the previous year when the Black Shuck reportedly attacked St. Mary's Church in Bungay. According to Fleming, the dog appeared to have wrung the necks of two people kneeling in prayer. On August 4, 1577, a ferocious thunderstorm struck the small Suffolk town of Bungay, bringing the threat of strong winds and fire from lightning strikes. The citizens were terrified and gathered in St. Mary's Church to pray, but the church couldn't keep them safe. According to the legend, the church doors flew open and a giant black hellhound charged inside, slaying parishioners as it made its way down the aisle. An old verse goes, all down the church in midst of fire the hellish monster flew, and passing onward to the choir he many people slew. The demon dog then went on to Blytheburg Church, about 12 miles away, where it took the lives of even more people and caused further damage. Although no official records exist of the losses occurring that night, a church official did prepare a report that noted the passing of two men in the belfry of St. Mary's, and both churches did suffer significant damage. Today, the damage and mortality rates are attributed to the storm itself, but the superstition was part of life in those days. It's possible that the damage was real while the cause turned into a metaphoric moral warning. The Black Shuck has a mixed reputation. In the earlier days of the legend, the Shuck was known as a negative omen in its first encounters. It was even said to have eliminated people directly. Today, the Shuck's reputation has received an unlikely makeover. Some modern witnesses, particularly women, have reported that the Shuck acted as a protector and guided them home when they were lost at night. Numerous witnesses have described the Black Shuck over the years. Most of the descriptions are consistent, except for the Shuck's eyes. While most agree that they glow bright red, some say the Shuck has only one giant eye in the middle of its head. The rest of the general description includes a roughly seven-foot-tall body, shaggy black fur, and a snarling mouth filled with sharp teeth. Perhaps the most chilling part concerns the sounds the shuck makes or doesn't make. 
Although his howling makes the hearer's blood run cold, his footfalls make no sound, according to a 1901 account. In 2014, archaeologists discovered a skeleton in a shallow grave on the grounds of the Crumbian Lyston Abbey in Suffolk. They determined the bones belonged to an enormous male dog around seven feet tall. It was buried 20 inches underground alongside pottery shards that dated back to the late 1500s. Some chose to believe the bones proved the shuck's existence, while others were quick to say it was all a hoax. While it would be exciting to find the skeleton of the animal that terrorized East Anglia 500 years ago, the more likely explanation is that it was a large pet dog that belonged to a member of the church. They look like scorch marks from a candle, but according to many East Anglians, the burn marks still visible on a door in the Blytheburg church were left by the black shuck itself. In other versions of the story, the marks were left not by the demon dog, but by the devil himself as he entered or left the church. Those who believe and appreciate the story of the black shuck treasure the door today. Along with the canine skeleton found in another nearby abbey, the door marks are the best available physical proof of the black shuck, even if they are inconclusive. The black shuck's legend has penetrated far beyond its home in East Anglia. Today, many black dog inns and pubs exist throughout England. The shuck has gone from terrifying legend to cultural icon, at least in the daytime. The town of Bungay, home to one of the churches the Black Shuck was said to have attacked in 1577, embraces its Shuck connection. The town's crest incorporates a black dog running on a lightning bolt, and Bungay's community football club is called the Black Dogs. While the Black Dog of East Anglia is mainly known as the Black Shuck, ghostly black dogs go by many names in England and around the world including the Gert Dog, Padfoot, Bargast, the Hairy Hound, the Yeth Hound, the Grim, and Kusith. The name Shuck has two potential origins. The Old English Skucka, which means devil, demon, or goblin, and Shucky in the local dialect, which means shaggy, possibly referencing the dog's black coat. Although the legend of the Black Shuck sounds like a story purely from the past, people still report plenty of sightings of the giant ghostly hound even today. A website called Shuckland is dedicated to sightings of the dog. A Reddit user recalled a Black Shuck encounter that took place in a foggy area near a meadow in Cambridge. I suddenly saw something sprint through the fog in front of me. I thought I was hallucinating as I was sleep-deprived, so I called out, Oi! If that's someone messing around trying to be funny, it's not working! Getting more and more unnerved by the second, I suddenly saw the black streak run around me again. As I tried to get my bearings, I heard a heart-stopping growl. Like a Rottweiler was ready to attack, that guttural, snarling growl they make when they really want to hurt you. No way was it a deer, a fox, or a person. It was either a fuming dog or something else. Not being able to see where I was going, I slipped, rolling down a riverbank. I saw this huge black shaggy-coated dog almost like a huge mix of an Irish wolfhound and a Newfoundland. 
five feet tall just sitting down on the opposite bank, its piercing red eyes staring at me. They bore into my soul, almost letting me know that morning I was very lucky to be on the opposite side of the bank. Tales of the Black Shuck date back about 500 years when native wolves still roamed the British forests and fields. As some wolves are black, it's possible that large wolves were responsible for some of the alleged black shuck sightings. Wolves were hunted to extinction in the UK around 300 years ago because they attacked herds of sheep when the country was in the midst of a wool production boom. Although the black shuck has always been described as a canine, one modern theory to explain shuck sightings suggests it might be a big cat. Not a large house cat, but a jaguar or panther, which can be completely black. As unlikely as it may seem in rural England, people have reported hundreds of big cat sightings there, from lions to leopards. Because the animals are not native to the UK, local officials look into places the cats could have escaped or been illegally released from, such as zoos or private collections. Some East Anglians believe the black shuck is simply an old legend, used to scare children and make them behave. That may be true, but plenty of frightened adults still report seeing the black shuck today. So what should you do if you encounter the shuck while wandering the English countryside? If you face a large, living, angry dog, the smartest move is to stay calm and not make eye contact. If the dog tries to attack you, try to give it something to bite other than you, such as a jacket, sweatshirt, stick, or shoe. Safeguard the most vulnerable areas of your body – fingers, face, thighs, chest, and throat. Many animal shelters face an issue called black dog syndrome. Black dogs, especially large ones, have a much harder time getting adopted than lighter-colored dogs. A possible cause might be negative associations attributed to black animals. Black cats are associated with witches and bad luck, for example, and they too have a hard time being adopted. The centuries-old connection between black dogs and the devil has been reinforced over generations, with children growing up hearing the tale of the black shuck. And not just in England. Worldwide, stories of black devil dogs have made black dog syndrome a global problem. Organizations have formed to help black dogs in shelters and to educate the public to remove layers of unwarranted fear. Stories of strange animals are well entrenched in Australian folklore as well. Reports of tigers, panthers, and pumas are common throughout the south coast of New South Wales, but perhaps the strangest of all these tales are reports of hair-covered, man-like monsters. One south coast location with a long history of these stories is the coastal town of Eden. Surrounded by beautiful national parks and dense bushland, the town is situated on historic Twofold Bay. Eden is a popular holiday destination. During the 1970s, Koss Gynes of Frankston, Victoria and his family spent several Christmas holidays in the area. One sunny afternoon in December 1977, 
Mr. Gines took his sons to Monk Farm, a long-abandoned overgrown property 16 kilometers inland from Pambula. The plan was to do a little rabbit shooting. Not everything, however, went quite according to plan. Just after sunset, with plenty of light remaining, Mr. Gines was walking very quietly down a gully when he was startled by a sudden crash in the bracken. I swung around, he said, startled, anticipating perhaps a kangaroo, and saw the back of a huge black creature like a gorilla making off from only 10 meters. I brought up my shotgun and had a shot at it. No way I'd miss from that range. But it made no noise, just loped off into a cavity in the scrub. Although upright, the creature wasn't particularly tall, only about the height of a small man, but much, much broader. The detail that stayed most vividly in Mr. Gines' mind was the way its dome-shaped head seemed to sit directly on its shoulders, as if it had no neck at all. After 20 years in Australia, Mr. Gines, originally from Greece, was familiar with all of the larger native animals, so he assumed the creature was an escaped gorilla. Although it seemed to have departed, he hurried to stand guard over his sons as they cleaned rabbits in a nearby creek. He thought later the creature might have blundered into him while seeking to avoid the boys. One interesting aspect of Mr. Gines' experience is that just six kilometers south of where he shot the gorilla, a steep, stark, rather eerie-looking mountain called Egan Peaks, or the Jingera, looms high above the surrounding bush. Colonial-era Aborigines believed the Jingera to be an abode of the Yahoo, a strange, hair-covered, man-like creature. Mr. Gines wasn't the first person in the Eden area to claim to have encountered a gorilla. The Sydney Catholic Press carried the following report from Candelo in early August 1903. A great sensation was caused here last Thursday when a gentleman came into the township and stated that he was startled by seeing what he termed a gorilla between Candelo and here. He says it was fully the size of a full-grown man with abnormally long arms and large head. It bounded right onto the cutting, gazed at him in a weird sort of way, and made a most unearthly noise. It then leaped right over a fence and made for the ranges with the speed of an antelope. The early 1900s saw many sightings. In August 1906, the Bega Budget carried the following report from Eden. Mr. Al Smith of the Lakes, Eden District, distinctly saw a hairy man a short distance from him a few days ago and had a shot at it with a shotgun without effect. He says it strongly resembles a gorilla, is between five and six feet high, has long hair over the main body and short arms. Seven years later, in 1913, the Lismore Northern Star described a similar experience near Mountaintop. Fred Alcock had an encounter with what he terms a hairy man at Mountaintop Eden one night lately. He was riding along when he noticed something coming towards him on all fours. On getting close to him, it straightened up to its full height, and Fred's horse, aided by its rider, not choosing to wait, made a record trip to Greenland. A Delegate Argus item from June 1930 also tells of a strange animal seen near Nulika. Children of the Nulika River settlement have been scared and excited by the appearance in proximity to their homes of a strange animal 
brown in color, much larger than the average cattle dog and resembling a monkey in shape. That, at least, is the description given of it by Tommy Bobbin, the biggest of the two boys who have seen it. He has seen it on several occasions, once at a distance of only a few feet. The first time he saw it, the animal was sitting up in a gorilla-like attitude, with what appeared to be a stick in one of its hands. Terrified but brave, Tommy threw at it a cob of corn which he was eating, and thereupon the horrible-looking creature disappeared into the scrub. Subsequently, it was seen by other children and they ran homeward, screaming hysterically. All attempts to convince the children that the animal may have been a strange dog are scouted by the children, some of whom at least are old enough to know the difference between a monkey and a dog. The parents have so far not sighted the animal, the identity of which is so far a complete mystery. Many local residents still claim something strange lurks in the Eden bush. In the mid-1980s, when George Fairweather was 16 or 17 years old, he, Michael Eines, and Andrew Petrie had a frightening encounter on the southern outskirts of Eden. As they were walking along a narrow track accompanied by Michael's large, rather savage bull terrier, they all suddenly seemed to sense something was amiss. It was almost like a bit of psychic experience, said George, because we all seemed to stop together, including the dog. Everybody knew something was not right. We stopped dead and then saw the thing. The thing was a seven or eight foot tall loping animal, and it crossed the path only 10 or 15 feet ahead. Even 13 years later, just thinking about it gave George a funny, wobbly feeling in the legs. It took two or three good steps across the track, towards a gully, and it was gone. It was just a silhouette, really. It was a full moon and a bit overcast. We couldn't see any hair or detail, but it was much taller than any man, even while stooped. It seemed bent at the knees and had a peculiar, non-human gait difficult to describe. There was no vocalization or even the sound of footfalls. No unusual odor was apparent. They froze for a good couple of seconds, then turned and walked away about 20 meters, walking as if over broken glass, and then ran. In the mid-1990s, while fossicking in a quarry six kilometers south of Eden, local resident Maria Spear noticed a more than two-meter-tall creature watching her from a nearby bush. It was brown, thick-set, and short-necked with powerful, solid shoulders, she said, it was standing upright on two legs, and when it saw me, it crashed off into the bush. My impression was that I had seen a powerful, man-like creature. America's Bigfoot would be an identical type. So exactly what is haunting the dark woods that surround this beautiful, remote holiday destination? Up next, a camping trip for young boys turns dark after a night of ghost stories that somehow comes to life. And a young boy lovingly takes care of his grandmother every day. And strange happenings in her house don't stop him. These stories are coming up on Weird Darkness. But first, I want to take a moment and instead of telling you about a sponsor or playing a commercial, I'd like to give you an opportunity to save the life of a child. Yesterday and today are the only days I'm doing this, but I'm going to forego the commercials and just ask that you feed a starving child for an entire year. And you can do that 
with a one-time gift of $39. Not a monthly gift, just a one-time $39 gift. That's it. Imagine that. The cost of a single meal with you and your spouse or you and your partner, that could feed a child for an entire year in places like Guatemala, Haiti, or the Dominican Republic. Now, you might be asking, as others have asked me, why are we doing this for kids in other countries? Why not take care of the kids in America? Well, there is an answer to that. In America, if you're starving, there are places you can go. Churches. The government will feed you. There are homeless shelters. You can even knock on doors of strangers and ask for handouts. But that's not the case in Guatemala. There, if you're hungry, you die. It's that simple. But you can change that with a single gift of $39. It feeds a child for an entire year. You might ask how that's possible with $39. Well, a lot of the food is donated, and most of the people who work for the organization that I'm raising funds for here today are all on a volunteer basis. So the money really is only used for travel and delivery of the food from one country to the other. And 96% of every dollar you give goes directly to getting food to those who need it. If you can give more than just $39 this one time, you can feed two children for $78. You can feed three children for $117. Well, you can do the math. And if you don't have that $39 right now, but maybe you do have $3, why not give a little every month and work your way up to the $39 for a full year? Whatever is on your heart, all I ask is that you please do so today. Please give. You can call 866-822-4883. Or if you want to do it the way that I did it yesterday, you can uh, click on Weird It Forward at WeirdDarkness.com. Again, the phone number is 866-822-4883. Or you can visit WeirdDarkness.com and click on Weird It Forward. I also have a link to the Weirded Forward page in the show notes, but please give today if you possibly can. Hi. I'm not really sure if this story is a ghost story in the true sense of the word, but it's definitely weird and does involve darkness, so it might be what you're looking for. I was about eight or nine years old when I had the chance to attend a summer cubs camp in England. For those who don't know, Cubs is like Scouts, but for younger children. Anyway, at the camp we did the usual things like building campfires, hiking, and generally behaving like hyperactive children do. There was about ten of us in the troop and we shared a couple of tents between us. We were confined to these tents from about 9 p.m. and as the leaders were still up until much later, there was no real chance to sneak out in other tents or go exploring at night. This was probably why we ended up telling ghost stories in the tent. From what I remember, most of the ghost stories were just reworkings of Ghostbuster cartoons, but there was one kid who I'll call Richard who said that when his brother had been to the camp a few years before, he had seen a strange human-shaped shadow by the side of the lake. For some reason, this story seemed a bit more believable than the others but it didn't stop me from getting a good night's sleep. A couple days later, 
the leaders surprised us with a late-night expedition which, after a walk of a couple of miles, led us to a campfire next to a lake. We had a great time eating hot dogs and drinking pop before sitting down around the campfire while packing our bags in preparation for the walk back to the camp. A couple of the kids and one of the leaders had walked off to the edge of the lake as it was clear night to enjoy the view. I was asked to go and tell them that it was time for us to leave. I walked to them, and as it was a clear night with a full moon, it was easy to see them. I walked towards them, but they didn't hear me, so I walked closer. They were standing on the edge of a small cliff, and I was walking through a small group of trees. As I got closer, I stopped as I could see a mist or shadow near them. This seemed a bit strange as it was a clear, dry night and I don't remember there being much wind. This mist shadow seemed really weird as it kind of had an indistinct form and almost seemed to be glittering. I was so engrossed with it that at first I didn't notice another shadow closer to Richard. It's hard to describe, but it scared me to the point that all I could see was the cliff, Richard, and the shadows. But as soon as I saw the second shadow, they both seemed to collapse upon themselves. At this point, the group turned around and spotted me. I was going to tell them what I saw, but it didn't exactly sound believable, as I barely believed it myself. I did not sleep very well that night. I've been listening to your podcast for a while now and really enjoy it, and even though you have lots of listeners sending in similar stories, I thought that I'd tell you about it, as I know what I saw that night, even if no one else did. During my early teenage years, my parents told me to look out for my grandmother since her helper got injured when she accidentally slipped going down a ramp. Since it was my grandmother personally who asked my parents for me to look out for her at their house, I gladly agreed. As I remember, my grandmother was on her 90th year by that time. It was okay for me since our house is just next door. Before going to school in the morning, I would prepare her breakfast. Right after going to school, I would go directly to my grandma's house and assist her with what she needed, make her a cup of coffee, fetch her slippers, guide her to going to the bathroom, even watch TV with her for a while. Every night, I would tuck her in bed. I sleep every night inside her room, just by the sofa near her bed. There's a half wall separating us. It remained barely covered for me to still see her if she's doing okay. We share one electric fan that turns simultaneously to the both of us. Though there is an air conditioner unit on her room, we only use it if it's burning hot inside the room. All was going well. We enjoyed accompanying each other for the past few months. Well, that was until strange things started to happen. One night, while lying by the couch inside my grandma's room, I heard the door creak. I can see clearly from where I was lying the door had opened. I thought that maybe it was just not closed tight and the wind blew it, which seldomly happens. I decided to stand up to close the door. I looked outside first to see if someone might have pushed the door open, but no one was there. I closed the door and went back to bed. After a few minutes, it opened again. 
I got up quickly thinking I might have just not closed it tight or someone still awake and playing a prank on me. I immediately looked outside and saw someone running up the next floor, giggling. I quickly thought that it was my cousin because his room was upstairs and we mostly do pranks to each other. With a bit of frustration, I shouted to him, Dang it, Mel! Stop playing around! You might wake up Lola! Well, after that, I closed and locked both locks of the door so that he would not be able to do it again. I was irritated by that and decided to lie down and pick up my phone. I messaged my aunt to tell my cousin not to do that during this time of night for Grandma might wake up. I decided to play games on my phone to feel sleepy. After a few minutes later, my eyes were ready to rest when suddenly my phone beeped. It was a message from my aunt replying to me. I opened the message and it read, Hi Mac, Mel's not home yet from school. They're finishing up dance practice. Maybe it was Mike whom you saw. I had goosebumps raising all over me. That couldn't have been Mike. I know that Mike isn't home yet, for he told me early that morning that he'd be staying at a friend's house. Just after realizing that, I heard something. It was rattling sounds that came from the door, as if someone was trying to open it. Click. I heard a sound, and sure, that was the sound of the first door handle being unlocked. Click. Another click, and I was very sure that was the second door lock. Creak. The door slowly opened. From where I was lying, I could see clearly the door slowly open as the door was now fully open. I heard a giggling sound and saw a shadow cast from the light outside. It was a figure of a little kid standing just by the door. Just by then, I saw it moved like it was slowly walking inside the room. I was now freaking out and started to panic. Not knowing what to do, I just quickly covered my face with the blanket. Now I can hear the giggling sound getting louder and louder and felt like it was getting closer and closer to me. Next thing I knew, I woke up at our house with a high fever and couldn't speak. When I got better, my mom told me that my cousin was knocking by the door that morning, but I wasn't answering. My grandma was the one who had hurriedly opened the door and told my cousin that I was shaking and had a high fever. They tried to talk to me, but I wasn't speaking, so my cousin decided to lift and carry me back to our house to get treated. I don't recall any of that happening. I didn't tell anyone yet what I saw that night, for they might think that it was just a bad nightmare that I'd had, but for me, it was very much real. Two days later, after feeling better, I returned back to my grandmother's house after school. She asked me to prepare a meal for her and a hot cocoa because she was feeling hungry. I went to the kitchen and prepared it. She asked me if I could bring it inside her room instead because her knees were aching and it's difficult for her to walk to the kitchen. I agreed and went back to the kitchen to bring the meal to her. As I gave her the hot chocolate, she said to me, Mac, can you also give that little kid some hot cocoa? She's been standing there all day now. I felt a chill all over my body as she pointed by the door where she claims to see the little kid. I turned around but saw no one there. I told her that nobody's there, but she kept on insisting and pointing that there's a little kid standing by the door. After that, I decided to tell my parents what happened on the night I had a high fever. They weren't all that surprised because of what they already knew. They told me that sometimes at night, 
they see by the kitchen window a little kid running around as if playing. Sometimes they could even hear the giggle of a little kid. They never told me this until that moment, afraid I might not want to accompany my grandma. Right after that, they asked for the house to get blessed, but at that point, I no longer always stayed at my grandma's house. Me and my brother alternately went there to accompany her. Do you have a dark tale to tell? Fact or fiction, you can share your story at WeirdDarkness.com and I might use it in a future episode. And if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you're listening on YouTube, please click that like button and be sure to subscribe and click the notification bell so you don't miss future episodes. And if you consider yourself a part of the Weirdo family, please share this podcast with your friends, family, and co-workers and suggest they subscribe. Doing so benefits me by benefiting the sponsors. And please check out those businesses who are supporting the podcast. Visit the sponsors page at WeirdDarkness.com. Also on the website, you can find Weird Darkness on Facebook and Twitter, along with my personal Facebook and Twitter. You can read creepy stories or watch eerie videos I find online, and join the Weirdos of Marler House Facebook group. It's for anybody who is a fan of the podcast. You can post memes, communicate with other weirdos, and anything else. It's an online playground for you and me together. Look for Weirdos of Marler House on Facebook, or click the link in the show notes. If you want to contact me through email or send me something through postal mail, you can find my info on the contact page at WeirdDarkness.com. And if you listen via Apple Podcasts or iTunes and you leave a review, I might read your comments here in the podcast. Chantrell511 left an Apple Podcast review saying, Scary stories! I'm already a weirdo and happy to say I will be for life. I will continue to support and share this podcast. I also want to say thank you, Darren, for my birthday card. Well, you're very welcome, Chantrell, and again, a happy birthday to you. By the way, Chantrell received that birthday card because she happens to be one of my patrons, and when you become a patron, I will ask for your birthday and add you to the birthday list. I got another review from Chance ZT. He said, Thank you so much. I've struggled with depression since high school. I got very sick my junior year, and it changed my social life. Depression soon followed, which possibly landed a crucial blow to my self-confidence, which led to isolation. Thank you for acknowledging this widespread problem. Stories in this episode are purported to be true, and you can find source links or links to the authors in the show notes. The Hellhound of England was written by Rachel Salbury. Shadows on the Cliff was by Weirdo family member Mark Whiteman. He submitted that directly to WeirdDarkness.com. The Gorillas of Eden was written by Cropster for The Fortian, and The Other Company was written by Mark Yulo Boni. Music in Weird Darkness comes from Midnight Syndicate, Shadows Symphony, and Audioblocks. You can find links to all of them in the show notes. Weird Darkness is a registered trademark of Marler House Productions. Copyright Marler House Productions 2019. And now that we're coming out of the dark, I'll leave you with a little light. Isaiah 54, verse 10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you.
And a final thought. Sometimes, when you're in a dark place, you think you've been buried, but you've actually been planted. I'm your creator and host, Darren Marlar. Thanks for joining me in the weird darkness.